Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined today by my special guest, Chris Spivey, who is the creator, author, and mastermind behind Haunted West and Harlem Unbound. Welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate being here. It's, it's, it's good to have you on. Now, real quick, before we start talking about anything, you've got two books that, that we've been looking at here lately. It's, uh, uh, I think we're getting ready to, um, I think actually Light, the other co-host here, is getting ready to, going to be running, uh, specifically, I believe he's getting ready to run Haunted West here in the near uh, future. <laughs> I, I never get tired of hearing people that are going to run my games. I, I would like to hear that every day from everyone I meet. Well, we had, I know that we had, he had brought it up because we do uh, alternating Wednesdays when we don't do our Hyperborea game. We try to run uh, like little mini campaigns of different games we're trying to get to. And I think that's been one that's been put into the, the rotation for, we're going to get to this one in a few games. <laughs> so could you tell the listeners about, well, let's start with Haunted West. What is the game? What could they expect? What's the, what is the system we're working with and everything else? So Haunted West is a slick, short 800 page historical weird western game that's incredibly inclusive of all the different cultures and peoples that made up the real history of the american west Excellent. and it's got a brand new mechanical mechanic system that i and my team built specifically for it it's kind of a three-tiered thing that has very much the old school if you want full-on minis on the table and like knowing all your different roles you can do that yeah then if you want, we've also got a more narrative version where only the players roll at certain points when their tall tales gets too much for the balladeer, who's our game moderator, to take his nope. I don't believe that. Like you gotta make that. me roll. <laughs> I like that the balladeer. That's perfect for the setting. <laughs> I know because the book's built almost like it sings a song of the West to you. Oh, nice. And then the third one's like the more classic style that everyone is used to, like the traditional um skills that you make all your checks for and everything else. So it's and I, I'd be, I have to say now, it is a silver any winning rule set for uh, 2022. Excellent, excellent. That's, that's exciting. Now, Harlem Unbound is the one that I first became aware of of yours. Can you tell the listeners about that? That is for Call of Cthulhu, correct? Harlem Unbound uh, or my op, or is it? <laughs> Go on. You're, you're like halfway there. <laughs> so it has two editions. The first edition is the one that I self-published because I tried to take it around all the different publishers and no one would publish it. Mm. And I said, all right, I don't know if I can curse. So I will not say it. I'll just say frack <laughs> and I'll do it myself. And for the first edition, it is uses the chaosium system, but it also uses the gumshoe system. So it's compatible for both making the first edition, a source book for call of Cthulhu or a core book on its own using gumshoe. And what it is, is it's 1920s Harlem telling the story of all the people there and they're battling the mythos. And it addresses Lovecraft and all the racism and everything else in Lovecraft's work in the gaming itself and go so forth and beyond. I think it won three gold innings at the time and it was so well received that Chaosium approached me to make a second edition. And I begrudgingly, which was <laughs> like a quick, yes, we can make a second edition. <laughs> And so the second edition has a larger print run and a lot more people have seen that one. And that one's strictly Chaosium and Pulp Cthulhu. Excellent. Now, 
I'm going to ask something out of left field here because because Harlem Unbound, it, it puts me in the mind of the Lovecraft Country that came out on HBO a little bit afterwards. Did, did, did you watch it? Did you see it? What did you think of that? So that I off? made I made Harlem Unbound first and then yes. Lovecraft Country hit. And so I've been like in the wake of Lovecraft Country ever since then. And oh, no. Like, which isn't a bad place to be because the show is enjoyable and... The two, if if it brings people to the book and it teaches them history about the time, mm-hmm. that's more important than like getting a couple extra bucks or any extra fame. Though, if anyone at cons or conventions wants to buy me a scotch or whiskey, I would not say no. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Now you seem to be doing a lot in 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 kind of I guess horror type of games. Do you, what got you to that point where you're writing horror games? A lot of our games that are out there are fantasy and stuff like that could you talk to some of that so growing up as a kid in alabama the first game i got of course was like the red box set for DD because i i'm i'm an old old timer <laughs> i'm like dust is coming off me right now as i speak and i move as hell <laughs> and the box set was engaging but at the same time i didn't see any characters that looked like me and a lot of the fantasy books i read didn't have characters that looked like me so that moved me away from fantasy and sort of sit me towards sci-fi superheroes and in horror and in and of itself like that genre had better representation although not necessarily the best representation if you see the horror movie yes and (laughs) i also discovered lovecraft i think at a young age when i was too young to understand the racism and everything inherent in the work Mm -hmm. like i was working in a state sale when i was 13 and i one of the books there was like the best works of lovecraft and so an estate sale is when a person passes away, they have to sell all their stuff. And they hired like six of us 13 year olds to sit there that night in a deserted dark house with a horror book, you know, sitting in my sleeping bag, reading it. And I was reading The Outsider and like resonated with me. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I discovered Call of Cthulhu. So the two just sort of dovetailed into each other. I, I appreciate that. It sounds like it sounds like a lot of your early games and stuff like that that you're getting into. Um well, you said the word dovetail. Dovetail is a lot of what I was into because we played a lot of superhero uh, and sci-fi games and horror games growing up, more so than the fantasy um, myself. And yeah, that was probably 13, 14 was probably around the time I first discovered Cthulhu and the, the Call of Cthulhu yeah. role-playing game as well. <laughs> and even in the book that I read, there was this, there was one scenario that took place in Harlem and it was um, about this trumpet, this trumpet player, and I could see what they're trying to do, but it was done badly, mm-hmm. and the representation was questionable. And as my cousin is Zorno Hurston, who is a a famous writer, historian, occultist, anthropologist, um, I've always had a touchstone for Harlem, and it's been something I've read about since growing up. And even then, I I kind of thought that I'd like to take a shot at this. And eventually when I got older and I started just not playing games, but making games, I came up with the idea for Home Unbound. And mm-hmm. I took it to all the different publishers and everyone told me no one wants to talk about racism, Lovecraft, anything that you're doing here. And I said, okay, you don't, you don't want it. I think it's too important not to do. And I kickstarted it myself. And the Kickstarter made over... I think almost eight times what I asked for it. No, that's 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 nice. That's that's a that's a success. I'd say it's <laughs> doing <Yeah>. well there. It's <laughs> doing well there. So when you, what have you been playing? I'd like to know a little bit about what you play, what you get into, what you have been playing. So 
when I run games, I've got my my own group, and my group loves when I run Star Wars. Like, all right, got all right, gang. I want to run a game. What should I run? Star Wars. It's like, ah, oh. I I've been running Star Wars off and on for over twenty years. So are you when running I, the 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 West End, the D twenty, or the Fantasy Flight, or all all of them? Okay, like <laughs> I I have a preference actually for the Saga Edition that came out, and the Fantasy Flight one's good. Uh, but when I get a chance, I run Vampire, Cyberpunk, and mm-hmm. I'm prepping right now for a Fallout game for like the next year. Oh, wait, I got oh. them all on board. So Fallout, oh, there's okay. That's the new Fallout role playing game that came out, correct? Yeah, like my video game of choice is Fallout, the Fallout <laughs> series. Like I, I could tell you the entire story of Fallout right now <laughs> without any prompts. So here's my thing. I, I I did not get into video games when everybody else was. I was getting into comics, role-playing books, yeah. all that stuff. But I never got into video games. My son got into Fallout. Oh, it's been a little bit. Now, it's been quite a few years back. So one of the few video games that I ran or have played is some of the Fallout games. Because I was like, okay, I'm going to yep. get into it with my son. So <laughs> I know a little bit about Fallout now. So <laughs> that's one of the games I can actually talk about on here for video <laughs> games. So I just lucked out in this one. <laughs> I'm excited to do it because I've wanted to run it for a while. And I've sort of like now explained to the group how we're going to run games. Since I have so many games on the shelf, I never get to run. We're going to run in like year, sort of a year long TV style. So I'm going to run one game for 12 to 14 sessions. Our sessions happen monthly because we don't have a lot of time. But when they run, they run from four to six hours. That's about 12 to 14, four to six hour sessions. And every three to four sessions is going to be equivalent of a season to a whole story arc. And then at the end of that, we're going to stop that game and we're going to put that series on the shelf and I get to break out a new game. That's that's a good way to approach it. I said the way we've been doing it is is every other Wednesdays we do. Well, simple. We're not doing six hours. We're doing like three hour sessions every other Wednesday, and what we've been doing rotating DMs. Everybody's been taking turns running something else they want to run. Right now we're playing uh, Twilight Two Thousand. <laughs> oh, nice! The new one from from uh, Free League. So one of our buddies said he wanted to run that, so we jumped jumped on that. How how did you get into role playing games to start? Just me and my buddy in around seven or so in mm-hmm. Alabama. We just went to the store and we saw it there, and it looked really cool, so we bought it, and it gave <laughs> us a chance to start gaming. So I looked into it at a super young age, and then it just sort of grew as I grew and more and more until I just had to keep doing it. Excellent. And I'm actually, my daughter has now gamed a couple different times and she has gamed, oh. I would think about six sessions and she has one game that she keeps talking about that I ran for her two, three years ago when she was five. Um, it was basically, she was a, a shield agent and <laughs> she had to go and investigate why these bones in the dinosaur, why the dinosaur bones, in the museum had disappeared. It was her and her pet robot. Oh, nice. What what system did you use for that? Uh, I just made one up for her. Oh, that works. That works very well. <laughs> I'm sure. My daughter, I she was into it for a minute there, but now that she's in high school and dating and going to homecoming, she wants nothing to do with it. I can't get her to play anymore. <laughs> it's been quite a few years. Hopefully she'll come back around. I'm afraid it's not gonna happen. <laughs> I don't have to. I don't have that worry yet. She's too young, but I'm. I'm hoping that if I can get her with the bug now, it'll stick with her throughout. Excellent. That 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 will that will work well. Work well. So, 
I want to go back to some of your uh, some of your writing because you've done more than just the Haunted West and Harlem Unbound, correct? Could you tell us uh, a couple things? Could you tell us a bit about what else you've done and what you've got out there that we could check out if we want to look more into your work? Uh, so I am one of the writers on the new Dune that came out from Odiphius. Yes. Uh, I, I was one of the, the people that got to go on stage. I, I love the Eddie story because I still really get to say it, but we won a gold any for uh, the writing for Dune. So I felt pretty <laughs> happy about that. Excellent. Scion, the new second edition of Scion, I wrote in both of those books. The Mask of the Mythos, which is a supplement for Scion. I've written different Call of Cthulhu stuff now. So I grew, grew up playing it. I got to write for it. So I've sort of like taken that off my checklist. The new edition of Doctor Who, I also got to write on that. So that's off my checklist. As I love Doctor Who, the time travel show. Go figure. I, as a person that loves history and researching, like a time travel show. Well, here's here's uh, Doctor Who from Fossa was my first role playing game and how I got uh, into it because I was all into Doctor Who on PBS in the 80s. <laughs> so was I. That's what we that's what we watched in Alabama. I was I watch it all the time. I used to mow lawns for like three bucks a pop. I grew yeah. up in Cleveland and, and I'd go around and we had little tiny lawns. You get three bucks and I went up to <laughs> And I and I pledged on PBS. I don't, I can't remember how much to join the Doctor Who fan club, <laughs> the Friends of the Time Lord, and set my monthly payments in. And then when I walked into a game, uh, a comic store, I saw that game sitting there. I had no idea what role playing was. I was like, oh, it's Doctor Who. I have to have it. That's what started me down the road. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, that was a great box too, because that was the one that had uh, Tom Baker and I think Ramona or Leela on the cover. Yeah, I, I got it. I actually have it over there on the shelf on top of the Marvel face. I got it over there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, excellent. So, uh, and you had mentioned something that I, I would like to talk to you about and ask some questions about, because you're working on Dune. I've read like I read like the first two and a half Dune books. It was like yeah. first one was Dune, then there was a was it God God Emperor was later. It was like Yeah, I think it's Kill, the Children like, of Dune Children or something is the next one. Messiah. I can't remember the but um maybe it's Dune Messiah. Oh. I can't remember the order they came. I've had like the little box that came out sometime yeah. and 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 I went through those and and I've said for years, reading through those was a little bit like canoeing through mud for me. <laughs> it, had cool, it had cool concepts, but it was like rough to get through. Um, and, and a little bit like Tolkien. Yeah, exactly like Tolkien. I feel the same exact way about Tolkien. Like if you try to read, it's like, oh, I'm pushing through it. I'm pushing through it. The Hobbit was a bit easier than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like the the only the only Tolkien book I had problems with. I've tried to read the Cimmerillion six times. Oh, I've never tried the Cimmerillion. I've not. I'm not even going to try the Cimmerillion to be honest. I get a dream that one day it'll be the time where I'll get past like page 130. One day. That was. Uh, there are so many books like that that I have just begun, and and and, and yeah, it's like ah, I'm lucky if I made it through the second chapter. <laughs> I tend to throw books away quick. I read a lot of them, and I'm just like, if it don't got me going, I'm barely gonna make it through. The one I think I went the most through that way was um, Les Miserables. I tried to read the unabridged version. Oh. Ugh. I got like 200 pages, two, 300 pages in. I was like, I, there's like a thousand more pages. They ain't happening. <laughs> it's, it's a better musical than it is. <laughs> that, it's it's an interesting book. I, I like the ideas, but I would rather watch the films and stuff than read through the book. That's how I feel about Dune and uh, Lord of the Rings at this point. But the reason I brought that up and we got this complete sidetrack is I'm curious to know about like, 
approaching something like Dune, because there's a lot there to it. And how do you approach writing that as a game? It's baffling. So for me, a lot of my process stays the same, regardless of what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. It deals with ingesting a lot of the material and like processing it for a while. Mm -hmm. I think when they approach me, so Modifius, I heard had the Dunes license and I sent an email to Modifius. I rarely like contact anyone about working for them. I want people to come to me (laughs) if they want me to write on their stuff Mm -hmm. because egotistical a little bit there somewhere along the way. Yeah. And or just busy. And so I sent him an email saying, Hey, I heard you guys might be making a Dune book. And they got back an email saying, How do you how'd you know that? <laughs> like, I, I don't know, but if you do make a Dune book, I would be interested in writing on it. And then four or five months later. And I started reading Dune then. I'm like, oh, just in case they're gonna do it, I get, I'll start reading Dune in my downtime. And I wa- rewatched the the Dune movies, which I will once again say the David Lynch Dune movie, a a masterpiece <laughs> of cinema. It's not necessarily a great Dune movie, but it is a masterpiece. <laughs> I, I was a big fan of the sci-fi version that they put out. <laughs> the, sci- oh, the sci-fi miniseries. They I did, did. The it was like uh, Alec Newman. I don't even remember who was in it at this point. That was it's over uh, probably over 20 years because it was yeah. right before I went into the Marine Corps. I know that I had on VHS and that's been over 20 years now as well. <laughs> So I've, I've kind of got like a, a photographic memory for TV and movies. It, it is really? a waste of a superpower. Total waste. <laughs> it's never useful. But it's also why, I, since I'm, I'm here, I guess I'll promote my own podcast. Uh, I do a podcast now with Eddie Webb, who's also a game designer. And we talk about different genres of TV and everything else. And one of the great parts for me is that when we do something, I can rewatch it once. And I remember all the stuff that I might have forgotten. Or I can sometimes go in. Eddie doesn't know this. I sometimes go in having not watched a show that I remember well enough and just like talk about it in detail. See, I've got the opposite ability. I can watch something and have no idea what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the other end of the spectrum. What is your podcast's uh, the name of the podcast? Did you say that? Uh, genreless. Genreless? Yeah. Like, like the genre of the, like, like, like sci-fi fantasy like less. it's L-E-S-S. called genreless yep because it's <laughs> okay. kind of a joke in of itself like we don't have a genre but everything is a genre and but we're talking about all the different genres so i appreciate it i appreciate a, it. a joke more for us than anyone else <laughs> that's good stuff that's good stuff so how, how long have you been doing the podcast and what started you down that road there um less than a year mm-hmm. so one of the things is that I'm usually more of a, a analytical thinker and I sort of like keep mm-hmm. to myself and I wanted to break that habit and even more so during COVID mm-hmm. where there's less exposure to people and everything else. And I was on a podcast with Eddie who I've known briefly and we've done a couple things together, but we always riff really well. And on the show, I'm we're joking about something and I made like a joke. Maybe we should do a podcast together. He said, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> and he made a, he made a tactical mistake at that point in time. Cause he thought I was joking. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I put a little checkbox to come back to that later. <laughs> and about a month later, I sent him an email. Hey, Eddie, remember how we talked about doing a podcast? You really want to do one? And he's like, sure. I'll, I'm, I'm down for that. And so then we started the podcast. And for me, it's been great because Eddie is a sort of a natural, almost radio host. And it's let me become more engaging and a little bit more out of my own shell. So I keep pushing myself out of my own comfort zone. And it gives me a chance to talk with a, a friend, get, get to geek out about stuff that we love. 
because the point of the show is that we talk about lots of different shows, everything that we love doing and putting out something that's more positive instead of trying to like drag a show for negative things. Yeah. And the first season was space opera. The second season was nineties giant Mecca. And the third season is going to be live action superheroes. Oh, (laughs) I love Here's the thing. Like I like what you said there cuz cuz I have noticed that I think in general uh websites and things get clicks from hate clicks and from being terrible and, and talking trash and stuff. And there is like when it comes to live action superhero stuff, especially now it's it's pretty popular, it's big, it's out there and a lot of people aren't into it and they say bad things about it, but I'm coming from like you know an era where like we had we had like, like I remember when there was like one superhero movie you could watch. Yeah. It was a legit superhero movie, and and reading these comics, like, like, oh man, I wish you could see this is a movie. <laughs> it's a I remember like movie. when the only superhero show was was the '90s Flash. Like, oh, that was great when that there. came out, but that was exciting because that was almost his suit. Like that was like right around the time Batman had come out a little bit after. I want to say going yep. to '89 was Batman. Oh, and and this his suit was so cool looking. <laughs> I was so into that. Because <laughs> one of the things that w- that I mentioned before on our podcast and other places is that it is it is easy to drag and tear something down, mm-hmm. but it is harder to build something and try to be more positive with it and make it become better than what it is. And so in the show, we sometimes slip and fail because everyone does, <laughs> but we acknowledge it and then try to move past it because during the anime season. We watched a lot of shows as kids that we love, but now as adults and we're looking at it, there's a lot more problematic issues with it. Yeah. But even in the bad things, there's still good things that you can focus on. Like we had a a love-hate relationship with this. I don't know if you remember Southern Cross is like so there was the Robotech series with Macross and there's Southern Cross and like the new generation. And Southern Cross was that middle child that didn't really fall in with everything else. It was not well loved. Well, I was a Palladium kid coming up. Yes, and it was the Robotech. Robotech, buddies, right over yeah, there. My, I got the Robotech, but right, my buddy. Before we discovered that, I didn't know how to role play. We got the Doctor Who box set and stuff. We'd roll up characters and use it for our action figures, just playing action figures, trying to resolve conflicts that way. And then my buddy comes over back from going to a friend's house. He goes, "You've been doing this wrong." <laughs> and he put like got all this Robotech and hero stuff. And he's like, wait, let me show you how to do this right. And it was the first time we played with a dungeon master, or a game master in the yeah. right way. But yeah, that, that I so my my entire like exposure to Southern Cross and everything came from those books. And we had even the old Palladium VHS tapes. Remember nice. those that, that Palladium yes. put out in like the 80s? And he had all he had all that stuff. <laughs> and like I only had Robotech tapes because of him and i found him like at some half price bookstore at some point in time like oh there they are and they got palladium on them too <laughs> so yeah i remember all that <laughs> but that game is why i lost my love like the the cyclone because when we, whenever we play i'd all right, be a cyclone person and my other buddy would be like an alpha pilot in this big jet and we would get into battles of the invid and i'm doing like 1d6 times 10 at best if i shoot my missile and baseline, they're doing what was it like two d six times ten at their minimum shot. I can do max of sixty. You do a <laughs> minute like a minimum max of one twenty, and then you break out your big weapons. So yeah, there was some, there was some big time 
there was some powerful stuff in those games to yeah. use. And when we were younger, we would we got into doing that. I was always one to jump to the heroes books because the heroes book because <laughs> we would just use whatever book you could pull in, you could make something out of it. Our the way we oh. played back then, so it fit perfect when like riffs came around and stuff. It was like, yeah, we just got pulled from everywhere. But yeah, I was always one that I had to be. A comic hero in the process of playing these i was a cyborg <laughs> now you're bringing up riffs so in riffs because we played riffs i got to oh, be yeah. the atlantean undead slayer oh and yes. my buddy my buddy played a superhero and everyone else played like a juicer or like a glitter boy pilot and stuff yeah. I was like that's fine we are inherently mdc beings yes. so in armor out of armor we're like kicking butt in any fight that you put us in that's great. Yeah, we did. We just got a chance to run a riffs campaign. We actually finished it up at the beginning of the year because I, I kind of we were I moved at the beginning of the year. I was like, okay, when the year ends, I'm killing this campaign. We're starting a new one at the new house. But for the first time, and probably since the late well late nineties, early two thousands, we actually busted it out and got to run it, which was I hadn't played it in that long, but I got still got plenty of the books. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, I'm a master of tangents, so no, I, I've gotten that's, you off track. For them. what I do. <laughs> it is my secondary mutation. It's called a tangent. That's And and I feel that Rifts was very popular in the 90s. I feel like gaming itself was a different beast back then than it is today, if that makes sense. you think I'm off there? Or? No, well, like game design seems to change roughly every five to 10 years. And what mm -hmm. people are looking for changes as like new people come in and it slowly evolves the industry frequently for the better. But there's still a long way to go in representation, mm -hmm. uh, who's writing the games and who has control over what is put out. I think there's a, a thing to be addressed there. At a point, a lot of that needs to be addressed with the higher ups, uh, who's in power, who's in charge, who are they hiring to get things done and things like that is something that really needs to be looked at. Yeah. That's, that's one of the most important things I feel needs to be looked at and addressed within the industry. You need to have a diverse collection of people in position of powers in all the companies mm -hmm. instead of the current makeup in a lot of the different companies. Mm hmm. That's how it filters down, and that's how voices are heard. Even if you hire, bring them on, then they're advocates for the ideas instead of having to push the idea through someone that doesn't understand what you're saying. I, I'm 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 kind of leaning into bringing something up now. Is is one of the things that I've been frustrated with is like some so like like fifth edition. I have positive things to say about some of the things they've been trying to do in terms of like like representation and stuff that is positive there and a lot of people seem to take issues with 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 that itself what i think my issue has been is where it's kind of surface level a lot of times what people are creating and it's not been the people who have been the creators the talent and stuff like that where the changes has been seen and does that make sense Oh, was uh, it, did, I, I, did i did i did i twist that around <laughs> uh i think i understand what you're saying so as opposed to uh, those positive that they're making forward social change within the game itself and what they're pushing out there. What I think needs to be seen even more so than just pushing that surface level social change, like you said, yeah. is having the people who are the creators, the people they're hiring, the people whose job it is to make the game be more representative of a wider array, a diverse array of folks. So that it's not just somebody kind of, 
you know, like an old white dude like me, like I can make this because Lord knows old white dudes have been trying to make like like they made the Oriental Adventures book, you know, (laughs) and 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 we've talked about that quite a few times on this show. Try try as they may, like I'm going to make this great thing that's diverse, and sometimes it comes out pretty hacked, (laughs) pretty terrible. You you need to change the leadership to include all the different marginalized people and everything else and that's how a company changes like for a, when i made haunted west yeah. i was telling a more inclusive story of the old west and i wanted to address the racism the erasure of people from a multitude of backgrounds be they like the indigenous nations people people from china the african-americans like the the haitian people and everyone else and the only way that i could even tried to tell that story is if I had people from all of those different backgrounds come onto the project. That's why Haunted West has is it 15 plus writers? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't count. I want to say like the five or 10, maybe another 15 sensitivity readers, content readers, and everything else, because it needs to have all those voices. And then you need to have other people review that because not no one person can represent the entire culture of people. So you try to get multiple different people to get the best version of it that you can present and make it as inclusive as possible. And then you need someone that is going to, and this is the most important part, listen to what they say and then implement it. Mm-hmm. It would have been irrelevant if I hired all those people, got all their great feedback and went, you know what? I know better than all of you, your lived experiences, <laughs> everything you know, and I'm going to put out this book anyway. And then there's some companies that will hire all these people and then change all their stuff, but leave their name on the book. So they have the illusion of change. Mm-hmm. And one of Darker Hughes missions is not to do that. If I, I'm hiring people, I'm hiring you for your perspective, your talent, and all the hard work you're going to do. And I want that to be reflected in the product that we produce. And fortunately, I've been able to do that for two books and They've been fairly well received, even if they're not. I'm going to say they are because I feel proud of them (laughs) and everyone that worked on them. And it is a mission and it's hard and it costs a lot of money. And it's even harder as a small independent company. I'm not like a WOTC or Chaosium that has like these projects that make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. I think my best pro the best profit wise for a Kickstarter was like around 55K and that was for Haunted West. Haunted West is an 800 plus page book made during COVID where printing prices quadrupled and I had to pay all those great people to come and work on the book. And then shipping is like still outrageously <laughs> expensive. So imagine shipping now an 800 page, we'll say almost like eight pound book, just stateside. Now think about all the orders I have to ship overseas yeah, and all of that. So it doesn't make a lot of money, but mm-hmm. it's important work that I feel needs to be done. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And and I'm glad it's getting done. And I'm glad that there's a company like yours out there. So I'm going to ask you one question here because we're coming close on time. What is in the future game wise? Is there anything that you've got floating around in the back of your head or already in development that we can look forward so- to? One of the things about me is I have eight projects already on like my my Google Drive. <laughs> and the next project is going to be redacted because I learned making Haunted West not to talk about something until I'm ready to drop it. But if people re- really want to support me, I've got a Patreon called Harlem Unbounding with Chris Spivey where I drop a couple different things per month and it's pay by piece. So you don't need, you can subscribe if you only want to get one or two things a month that I do. You only have to pay for those or you can wait for me to drop 
at most three, four things a month. Well, that brings me to the next thing I was probably going to ask you is, is where can folks find you online and check out your stuff and pick it up? Uh, Twitter, I'm at darker underscore Hugh. If you want to pick up Haunted West, you can go to our telesaurus and games carries it. They're the great people that make cyberpunk and the Witcher. Uh, or you could go to any press revolution that also carries Haunted West. If you want Harlem Bound, you can go to Chaosium. Uh, if you want any other games I work on, you can go to their websites. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been great getting a chance to talk to you. Thanks. I appreciate being on and your time. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you for your time. <laughs> If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at LogarHaleCrom. We're on Patreon as well, patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling. <laughs>